Let's turn to Isaiah 47, and it's page 607 if you're using a, one of the house Bibles or should be one in the seat in front of you somewhere. Isaiah 47. God resists the proud. That's God's stated and settled disposition towards spiritual pride. He resists the proud. Proud leaders are brought low by the hand of the sovereign God. Proud nations are destroyed. Proud people will come under the condemnation and the judgment of the Almighty. And perhaps no nation in the ancient world so epitomized spiritual pride as the empire of Babylon. Daniel chapter 4, the passage before the one that was read earlier by, by our brother, records the account of one of the greatest of the kings of Neo-Babylon, and that was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was warned by God of God's judgment, and his answer to God's warning was to walk out and look over this vast, great city and say to himself, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power? And you know what the Lord did to him? The Lord literally brought upon that man a period of temporary insanity. The man went out of his mind and lived and ate like an animal until the Lord graciously healed him. And then, of course, we read chapter 5, the account of his son, Belshazzar. Belshazzar did not learn the lesson of his father who finally had to be humbled by God. And Belshazzar took the very utensils of the holy temple dedicated to the true and living Creator God, and he used them to eat and drink and have a drunken party for those who were in His presence. And at the end of that, the Lord said, You have been found wanting. The kingdom will be taken away from you this very night. And before the night was out, He was dead and his kingdom had fallen to the Medes and the Persians. The Lord resists the proud. God is not mocked. He will not give his rightful glory to any other. That would be the height of wickedness, and God will not stand for that. So all pride must rightly and justly be put down for the universe to be upright. God alone deserves the glory as creator and king. Pride is such a great sin because it it seeks to rob God of that glory that's rightfully His. Already we've seen in Isaiah the prophecy that the empire of Babylon, which in Isaiah's day was still not yet a dominant world power, but would, in the prediction of God, rise to dominance. But Isaiah also predicts its utter collapse then because of its own pride. 
But Babylon also is used in the Bible as a symbol of the quintessential city of man, to use Augustine's phrase. The city of man, where man is at the pinnacle. Throughout the scripture, it's used this way to represent the epitome of human collective arrogance and rebellion against God. Remember that the ancient tower of Babel stood on that very site where the people of that ancient civilization rose up and said, we will make a name for ourselves. We will raise ourselves up to the heights of heaven. We will be like the gods. That was brought under the judgment of God in dramatic fashion back then. And so here is this kingdom that comes along in that same place, epitomizing that same kind of pride. But that spirit, that kind of spiritual pride that resists the rule of God and says, I will be God, that same kind of spiritual pride characterizes so many peoples, cultures, individuals all throughout history to the point where John, in his apocalypse, he writes of Babylon yet. Now, the ancient power of Babylon had fallen long ago, but in John's day, he still sees a Babylon that is to come. Uh, uh, Another generation of proud people who lift themselves up and want to cast off all of the rule of God in their lives that yet must be put down. Mystery, symbolic Babylon, standing for representative, as a representative of all human societies which set themselves up above and against the God of heaven. People who say to themselves, I will not have God to rule over me. I'm going to live life my way. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want Him to be my Lord and Master. Thank you very much. I will take care of myself. I will decide what's right and wrong and what's best for me and what's true. I will not submit myself to God above or to anyone else. So as we read this text about this ancient empire of Babylon, we should keep in mind God's promise of judgment upon all human pride in any nation or in any individual or in any society. Isaiah 47 Let's read the first ten verses together, and then we'll come back and finish the last five. The Lord says to Babylon, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate, Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of the kingdoms. 
I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. And you said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely and say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come on you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray and you said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. You have in these first five verses the decree of God. God's decree. And you see that because there are just all of these commands, imperatives by God directed toward the empire of Babylon, right? Look at them. Come down, he says to them. Sit, take and grind, put off your garments, strip them off, uncover yourself, go into darkness. All, All of these are commands, right? So that's why I'm calling this the decree of God. God is decreeing to Babylon what will be. This is the Lord's command to her who is resistant to him and yet will absolutely do what he decrees because he is the sovereign Lord of all. His decree to this nation who is fighting against them with a fist raised before him, this decree of God is as powerful to them as his words in the beginning, let there be and there was. The word of God, the decree, the declaration of God is the formative thing in all the earth. God rules by his word, his declaration, the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. And this is a reminder, friend, that any nation, no matter how powerful in the world, And any individual, no matter what his circumstances, is literally a breath away from utter destruction if God so decrees it. God has but to say the word, and the mightiest of all human civilizations would come crashing down. The Lord speaks, and it is so. He declares, and his word does not return void, but it accomplishes that which he purposes, and it inevitably succeeds in the thing for which he sent it. That's the God who is. He decrees, and it is so. And his decree, with regard to the nation of Babylon, 
was one of dethronement. It was a decree of dethronement. He said to that nation, sit on the ground without a throne. You who are ruling over all of the nations of the earth, you who have the supreme position among all of those ancient nations, you will be dethroned. He says to them, no more shall you be called the mistress of kingdoms, as in the master or lord of all of those kingdoms. No longer will this nation, because of the word of God, no longer will this nation be considered a superpower. No longer will she have rule and influence over all of the other nations around them. She was. Babylon was a superpower. Like Greece under Alexander, or like Rome in its day, or like the British Empire, about whom they used to say the sun never sets because it's so vast. Or perhaps even like what is called today the world's only superpower, the United States of America. While not considered an empire, our nation is very clearly dominant in its influence around the world. And just like Babylon or Greece or Rome, God is able to humble any nation that rises up against Him. Any nation that says, let us burst His bonds apart and cast away His cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord is sovereign over all nations and He says to Babylon, you will be toppled from your throne. And not only will she be dethroned, but she will be degraded. She will be disgraced. Notice he says in these verses, you will no longer be the tender and delicate mistress of the nations. Her finery will be stripped away. Her veil that covers the face of a fine lady, will be removed so that all the commoners can gawk at her. She will seem no more mysterious than one of the common laborers pushing the millstone around. All of her regal modesty will be discarded and she will be put to work as a common slave. This is what the Lord says about this nation. Not just that she will be removed from power, but as he says to her, sit in the ground, sit in the dust. You're going to go from the throne to the dust because of my word against you. You know, it's one thing to be simply out of, out of power. It's another thing to be humbled, to be humiliated, to be degraded and disgraced. It's possible to be removed from power and still live a pretty uh, pampered life, still be well thought of and able to move in the highest of circles, but the Lord says to these who raise themselves up against Him, you will be brought low. That is an absolutely appropriate end for any creature that raises itself up against the Creator. That is right and good that that should be brought low. What matters more than anything else in all the universe is that God is glorified. 
that He is seen for what He is and who He is. And all pretenders to take that throne are rightly humbled. And the Lord predicts that He will humble this mighty and proud nation. And what I want to do now is to take most of the sermon and really focus on verses 6 to 10. In verses 6 to 10, we have a description of the proud behavior and the proud thinking that is going to call forth this word of God, this decree of God regarding their humiliation. What does it look like to be so spiritually proud that God decrees that you will be humiliated? What does that look like? Well, in the first place, God wants us to know, verse 6, that any power that Babylon had was because of the Lord. Any power that she held over the people of Judah was because God had given them into their hands. Verse 6, I was angry with my people, Judah. Why? Because of their sin. I was angry with them. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. In the first place, friends, pride always misinterprets apparent success. Pride misinterprets apparent success. The Babylonians assumed that it was their might and their power and their gods that have given them the victory over all of these people. And the Lord says, no, you've got it all wrong. I gave them into your hand because of my anger against them. Not because of my approval of you as a people, but because of my just judgment on Judah. For that reason and that reason alone, you've had the victory over them. Pride misinterprets apparent success. We look at apparent success and say, you know what? I did that. No, it was God that did that. Or we look at our apparent success and we say, oh, this is the blessing and the approval of God on my life. We do not understand that that apparent success and blessing may literally have nothing to do with us, but that God is simply using us as a tool to do something in somebody else's life. That was the case with this people And now, having humbled his own people for their sins, the Lord will turn and humble those he used to humble them. And in the end of verse 6, we see the kind of behavior that God humbles. How had they acted toward the people of Judah? You showed them what? You showed them? No mercy. On the aged, you have made your yoke exceedingly heavy. God will humble men and nations who show no mercy. Throughout history, we have seen it again and again and again that nations not only conquer their enemies, 
But once their enemies lay before them, defeated, they go in and rape and torture and terrorize. They block humanitarian aid. They deprive and humiliate their prisoners of war. How does God, how is God related to those kinds of nations? The Bible says He is against their pride. He is against the pride that will not show mercy. The Lord will not forget these things. But I think the primary application here is to those who show no mercy to the people of God. Right? He says, you showed my people no mercy. And there are today regimes all around the world who are persecuting those who name the name of Christ. They're putting a yoke upon them. Places like Nigeria, where more Christians have been persecuted and killed in the last couple of years than in recent memory. Places like Sudan and India, Pakistan and North Korea. And every day it just seems like these kinds of things get closer and closer to home. Friends, God will not be mocked. What a people sow, they will also reap. And if they sow no mercy, they will receive no mercy from God. Matthew chapter 25, you remember that Jesus told this um, parable of the sheep and the goats in order to demonstrate that one of the great criteria in the final judgment will be how people treated Christ and by extension the people of Christ. These people were under the judgment of God in their spiritual pride because once they, by as a tool of God, once they conquered the people of Judah, they showed them no mercy. And you know, one of the most amazing things is that even Christians, of all people, are sometimes characterized by a pride that is unwilling to show mercy to others, that is unwilling to forgive. Christian people characterized by holding grudges. Friends, what does the Scripture say? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It is the height of arrogance to think so little of your sin against God and the forgiveness that you've been granted. Would you be like that man who's forgiven millions, who goes out and finds the one who owes him ten bucks and says, you're going to jail until you pay every last penny? Spiritual pride is characterized by an unwillingness to show mercy. And I say it's pride because we forget what we have, that we have been shown mercy. That we are recipients of the grace of God. There's another characteristic of spiritual pride in verse 7. And that is the assumption that things will continue as they are, that spirit, that prosperity will just always continue the way it has been going. Verse 7, the empire of Babylon said to itself, I shall be mistress forever. As it is, it will always be. God's not going to judge. 
It's like the scoffers in the last days who the Bible predicts will say, where's the promise of His coming? For everything continues as it has been from the beginning of the world. We will continue. I will be mistress forever, Babylon says. It reminds you of, even in more recent days, the claim by Hitler and others that the Third Reich would last a thousand years, the thousand-year Reich. And in a little over 12 years, it was brought to dust. And you know, we can hardly imagine a day when our own country, the United States, is no longer in existence. Can you imagine a world like that? It's pretty hard to imagine. Or even a world in which the United States has little to no influence as a world power. But I want to ask you if you can remember back to the days when the great, the other great superpower of the world existed, the USSR. Remember that? I, I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, and the great fear was mutually assured destruction. And there was the US and the USSR. You know, if you get... If you go in my office to this little globe and you spin that globe, you won't find USSR anywhere on there. It doesn't exist. You know, I think every nation feels like that it will continue to live for, exist forever. But one day God brings everything into judgment. I know when you're a young person, you imagine that you'll be, you'll just live forever. It kind of feels like that. I mean, there's just all of this life just going on out in front of you as far as the eye can see. and It's a reminder here that every man and every nation comes to its end. And then what? The Lord will judge spiritual pride. That assumption is actually symptomatic of a more general aversion that pride, proud people have to spiritual and moral reflection. We see that in verse 7. An aversion to spiritual and moral reflection. Verse 7, Babylon says, I shall be mistress forever so that you do not lay these things to heart. They don't consider what it is that they've done in mistreating the people of God. You do not lay it to heart or remember your end that the Lord will judge all who do such things. How spiritually arrogant it is, friends, to go on sinning against the Word, against God's law, against your conscience. But because of your wealth and your prosperity, you're able to fill up your days with such distractions that you never have to think about it. You never have to contemplate your own spiritual state. I think a great many people are in danger of distracting themselves to death. We run from event to event and work 60 hours a week and then come home and we have a 24-7 access to entertainment of every kind so that we never have to stop and contemplate and think about the ultimate questions, to lay it to heart, to remember our end. 
You know, the Bible tells us that it's, a, it's more beneficial to remember our end than our beginning, the day of our death rather than the day of our life. But so many people just fill their lives like these Babylonians did with so many things and so many events and so many activities that they never laid to heart their, the morality of their lives, whether their lives were pleasing to God, and what would come after. And so very few people, I think, in our modern, western, climate-controlled, electrified world ever go outside and sit out under that night sky and look up into the vast, inky blackness of space and ask themselves, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Is there a God? What happens after I die? They just have lost in their spiritual arrogance. They've lost their ability to really contemplate, to really be reflective spiritually, really stop and take stock of their lives and the bigger, deeper questions of reality. No, the proud just go rushing on from one thing to the next. They never lay it to heart. They never remember their end. And this is because, verse 8, they are lovers of pleasures. The Lord indicts these Babylonians as lovers of pleasures. Not lovers of truth. Lovers of what is right, good. Lovers of what is significant and lasting and valuable, but lovers of the fleeting pleasures of the world. They give themselves to the indulgences of the here and now, living for food and alcohol and sex, for houses and property and toys. I mean, the ancient Babylonians, friends, were no different from most of the world today. They had different toys, but their hearts were exactly the same. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In the middle of verse 8, their pride was characterized by a false sense of invincibility, a false sense of security. Look at verse 8. You, the Lord says to them, you sit securely and you say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. And of course, in the ancient world, if you were widowed and you had no children to take care of you, you were in a destitute place indeed. But Babylon is saying to herself, I will never be in a place of deep need of destitution. I will be as I always have been. But the Lord says, no, these two things will come on you in a moment, in a day. The loss of your children and widowhood will come upon you in full measure. There was a false sense of invincibility, security. But Babylon, like every nation in the moment, cannot imagine a day when she is not 
She has huge walls to protect her city that straddles the Euphrates River. She has a protected water supply running right through the heart of that city and a mighty army to defend it. We will never be left destitute. But we read the historical account in the book of Daniel how that city fell in one night. Herodotus tells that the Persians diverted the water supply that ran through the city and they brought their armies in through that dry riverbed up underneath the defenses of that city and great, mighty, invincible Babylon fell like that. The unsinkable ship sank to the bottom of the Atlantic. The eternal city falls to the barbarians. And the invincible Reich collapses into the dust. Listen, the end will come for every man and nation. And spiritual pride is blind to that. Blind in a sense of spiritual security and invincibility that will be shattered, intentionally shattered by the God who exists. And part of the reason for their false sense of security is that in all of their wickedness, the Babylonians convinced themselves that their wickedness was unseen, that it was unknown that they were unaccountable. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. No one sees me. We won't be held to account by either men or gods. You know, it's always dangerous to think, you know, no one sees me. Are you with me? It's always dangerous to think no one sees whether you're traveling on business or you're alone in a parked car or you're browsing the internet or you're away at college. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Friends, beware of running from accountability. Beware of running from being seen and known. Maybe you're a young person and you just are really itching for independence to get out and be able to get in the car and just drive and to go and to be on your own. But I want to remind you that the knowledge that you have that your parents are watching is one of God's greatest gifts to you. Because it's spiritual pride that says, no one sees. I'm not accountable to anyone. And friend, the evil of our own hearts is unleashed. What does the Bible say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And what that heart needs is to realize that it is seen and it is known. Beware of running from accountability. 
being a church member who is dismissive of pastoral admonition and of the admonition of the whole church. It is spiritual pride and arrogance that says, listen, I know what the pastor's telling me, I know what the whole church is telling me, but I'm going to go my own way. There is a pride, there is an arrogance that says, I'm accountable to no one. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. The fool is wiser in his own opinion than seven men who can render a reason. Spiritual arrogance that is dismissive of the accountability that a church provides. Quickly dismissive of the admonitions of the church or just running from church to church to escape any kind of accountability. Friends, we need to be seen. We need to remember that we are seen. The Lord says to them in verse number 10 that the so-called wisdom and knowledge of pride, of their pride, had led them astray. And at the very root of that pride, you can see it in verse 10. Look again at it. The very root of their pride was this. You said in your heart, did you notice this phrase? I am... And there is no one besides me. I think at the heart of spiritual pride is this, that a a person really sets himself up as his own God. A person sets himself up as if he were in the place of God himself. And you have this phrase repeated. They said it in verse 8. And they say it again in verse 10. I am and there is no one besides me. And their repeated phrase here is a kind of perverted aping of God's own repeated statement from back in chapter 45. I am God and there is no other besides me. And here they are saying, I am and there is no one besides me. The Lord says it four times in chapter 47, they say, or 45, they say it twice in chapter 47. The ultimate heart of spiritual pride is really setting yourself up as a God. It's, and, and no one would think of themselves like that, right? I, I, I never call myself God. Oh no, but you make yourself a God just as surely as you say, I will be independent from God. I will do my own thing. I will decide for myself what's true and what's right and what's good. I'm not going to let God decide for me how to live my life. I'm going to do what I think is best. There is no one besides me. Wasn't that the pride of Lucifer that was on display? Who said, I will be like God. Wasn't that the temptation that he put in front of Adam and Eve in the garden? If you eat of this tree, you will be like gods, deciding for yourselves good and evil. And that's ultimately what the proud human heart does. It ultimately says this, whether it would articulate it in these terms or not, the human heart ultimately says, there is no God besides me. I will run my life. I will be my own Lord and Master. Oh, you fool. 
All your saying so cannot change reality, and all of your empty pride cannot dethrone the sovereign Lord or avert His humiliation when it comes upon you according to His decree. And in spite of all that the Babylonians told themselves in their pride, the Lord says now in verse 11, the Lord says, but evil shall come upon you, which you did, will not know how to charm away. You can't get out of this with your spells and your incantations. Disaster shall fall upon you, which you will not, for which you will not be able to atone. You won't be able to buy your way out of this with all of your riches. This judgment that I'm about to bring on you, this your, and ruin, he says, shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. God's judgment, when it comes, will be swift and unexpected, like a thief in the middle of the night. And in that day, their gods, their so-called gods, will be a mockery and will be made a mockery of. Verse 12, Stand fast, the Lord says, in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to succeed. <laughs> Perhaps you will be able to inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels, your astrologers and soothsayers and your priests and your seers. Let them stand forth to save you who divide the heavens. This is the very language of the zodiac. Let them stand forth, all of these people who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars and who at new moons make known to you what shall come upon you. In the day of God's wrath, God says to them, go ahead, run, go now to the things that you have relied on all your life and see if they'll help you. But I have decreed your downfall. Verse 14, Behold, they are like stubble, these things that you relied on. And the fire, the fire of God's judgment consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame, much less you. No coal for warming himself is this. No fire to sit before. This is the, not a fire you sit before and warm your hands and say, oh, this is nice. This is the fire of God's judgment that is going to consume all of their false gods, all of their hopes in other things besides the one true and living God. This is the fire of God's judgment. And verse 15, such to you are those who, with whom you have labored, with whom you have done business, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each one, all of these so-called helps. They're going to wander about each one in his own direction and there is none to save you. And in the end, every person is left standing alone before the Almighty. In that day, all of our pride will be stripped away and there will be none to help, none to save from the fire of God's eternal judgment. This is the Word of God to spiritual pride. And you know, maybe you're sitting here and thinking, you know, why are we reading this? Why are we studying this? This is about the downfall of the proud out there, okay? Well, the proud aren't even here to hear this message. I mean, the proud aren't sitting here in these seats. They're, they're out there saying, we will have no God ruling over us, right? 
And I want to remind you that this, this is the word of God to a people who would not hear this message. This is the word of God to the ancient Babylonians who would not come and sit and hear this word. It was regarding them, but it was for the people of God. Those who have an ear to hear, they take heart for themselves. And here's the way it works. As Paul said in the New Testament, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be condemned along with the world. God is telling us what He will do to the proud and arrogant people who stand against His rule in order that we might submit to Him might say, Lord, let that kind of pride never characterize me. Let nothing like this ever take root and take hold in my heart. Let me not be worshiping myself alone. Be not hardened to reflection on my own spiritual state. Lord, let me not think that I'm to... Uh, uh, to praise for all of the apparent prosperity that I'm experiencing. Let me not fall into a place of thinking I'm secure and I'm invincible. Lord, keep me from being one of those who is characterized by pride and spiritual arrogance. I want to remind you that you will either humble yourself before God or God will humble you. You will either humble yourself before God or God will humiliate so that the humiliation of Babylon may become the humiliation of you if you are found not to truly be one of the people of God. I want to ask you this morning, do you sense, now thinking about all of these characteristics that we've seen of spiritual pride, do you sense the temptation to any of these in your own life? Be honest with yourself. Do you find times in your life when you're tempted to slip into some of these ways of thinking and speaking to yourself and acting towards others? May God give us the grace to root out every vestige of pride. For there is no doubt about it, every Vestige of pride will be brought under the judgment of God Almighty. And I'll leave you with this word from James. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. That is just like the Lord. He resists the proud, but He shows what? That's the most amazing thing in the world. He shows grace to the humble, to those who lay themselves down and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender everything to You. You're God and I'm not. God, I confess my pride, my arrogance, my self-absorption, my lack of mercy, my lack of sensitivity to You. Lord, I confess, I surrender all to You. You say that today? Let's pray. Lord, we do say that. 
I hope by your grace that everyone here can say that. I pray that it may be so. Lord, we surrender. We yield to you. You are sovereign. You are Lord. You deserve the glory and the honor and the praise and the obedience of our hearts. So once again, Lord, today we lay our own selves aside and we yield to you. In Jesus' name.